My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. Then you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I want to tell you that I'm the kind of person that has a problem with rules. Now, I know some of you are with me, and uh, some of you struggle against rules. You struggle against obeying rules. When you see the speed, line, speed uh, sign, you know, it's, it's, it's not really a limit. It's a, it's a casual suggestion, right? Or, you know, when you look at the stop sign, I know this is the case for my wife. It's like, it means slow down because you're a Californian and keep going, right? Um, and so, you know, sometimes we push against and rebel against the rules. And, and we end up paying the consequences, the price of that. Me, on the other hand, I'm the ex exact opposite. I enjoy the rule. Not because I like to obey rules per se, but I feel safe within that. You see, a number of years ago when I was in youth ministry, I took one of those personality tests. It was the DISC. And DISC stands for D-I-S-C, a driver or like a lion. Some of you are just like roaring. You're a lion. You lead, get, you know, lead, follow, get out of the way. Some of you are an I or like an otter. You enjoy the pleasure of other people and you're kind of the party person, the cheerleader person. Some are S, steadiness. You're faithful. You're like the golden retriever. You don't have a ton of friends, but you have them for a long time. And then C, compliant, that was me. And I don't like that word compliant because that sounds like I don't have a will. But compliant uh, means that I want to do a good job and I want to work within the boundaries that's given to me. In fact, early on, I wanted to have a job description. Uh, when I started my job at Church Venture Northwest, uh, I wanted to know the job description. I spent six months or more traveling with the last director. I want to know what the job is because I'm going to sign up for this, but I feel safe knowing that I'm accomplishing what is being asked of me. That's kind of that personality. I'm very busy doing a lot of things, but I want to do the right things. And then a number of years ago in my doctoral work, I took a look at the Enneagram and I discovered I was a type one, a reformer. And a reformer, very much in the same way, wants to look at things and see that maybe they could be better. Uh, let's take this and let's improve it. Or when I was a kid, sometimes I would take something apart and never put it back together again. But the idea was I wanted to see why it worked and so that in the hope that we could do things. And so a lot of things at Sunrise is we'll work on things. We'll keep getting better. We continually are in improvement because I think there is a way to get complacent and slow and forget. And then all of a sudden we fall apart. And I, I don't want to be in that church. I want to be a church that's always striving to figure out what is God wanting? What is God saying? Where is God moving? But 
in that part of that personality as a reformer is that idea of what's right and wrong. And I want to do what's right. There's this perfection uh, reality in me. And I know a long time ago I gave up the idea of perfection. And so, but at least I want to see it done well. Well, what that does for me, and I believe that's a part of my nature, how God, you know, built me, um, it, it also has a destructive element to it. Because then with my nurture, growing up in a home where there was abuse and there was anger, growing up with a dad that didn't say I love you or I'm proud of you, didn't tell me what I was good at, but always held up a high bar. And if I ever reached that, he would raise the bar. Always feeling defeated because I could never please my dad. And so I grew up in that house, in that world, where the reality was I just kept going faster and faster and faster on the treadmill and never got anywhere and always felt exhausted. And then I become a follower of Jesus. And then I take all of that into my relationship with God. And I go and I want to know what the rules are. I want to know what the commands are. And then especially because of the fact that I went to that kind of a church that was really high on truth. I've shared about grace and truth. It wasn't a grace truth. It was devoid of grace in many ways. Had a lot of truth. Had a lot of rules. And as long as you obeyed those rules and matched up to those rules, you were accepted. You were approved. You were promoted. You were put in front of people. Then you'd be okay. But if you broke the rules, if you fell off the treadmill, if you just pushed stop, they didn't have anything for you and you would just end up leaving. And so then my reality of God, my picture of God was really distorted because I just took all that together and thought, if I can just check all of God's boxes, he's going to love me. And the more boxes I check, the more he'll love me. And so I just went on a running spree of checking boxes. Now, I know, you know, in a relationship with God, and I'm going to just presume that you do have that. You're here, you're online. You've somehow entered into a relationship with God. You know that there are certain things that God says to do and says not to do. And the reality is, is that it's kind of hard because we enter up in this, enter into this situation where we can exhaust ourselves. And so in my 20s, God was so good to me. I was single through my 20s. And in my 20s, I came to the realization that there was nothing I could do for God. He'd already done it all. In fact, I came to understand who God was, who Jesus was, what Jesus had done for me, and who I was in Jesus. And when I discovered that, man, I just got off the treadmill. And I had to slow down for a while. You know, it took a season. But I got off the treadmill, and I reevaluated everything I was doing. And I asked the question, why? Why am I reading the Bible? Why am I praying? Why am I going to church? Well, I was a pastor, so I had to go, you know. But um, youth pastor, so I could sit in the back row and, you know, goof off. Um, But um, why am I doing all these things? Why am I giving? Why am I serving? And I decided if I wasn't doing it for the right reason, I wasn't going to do it until I discovered the joy of that. And when you think about this, when you think about the reality of how this works in your life, you probably have some of this too, right? Because we are in a culture an American culture, a Western culture that prizes perfection. I mean, think about this. You, you go to school, right? We know your teacher teaches, your parents, they want you to get good grades. And if you get A's, you're accepted. You probably even get a bonus, right? If you bring home A's on your report card, you get a reward. I, and, and if you don't get a reward, that's one thing. But if you bring home D's and F's, you get a punishment, right? So you know quickly that the more you perform, the better off you are the better you can make it in school or in relationships like jobs, right? 
or sports. If you're in sports, what do you want to do? You want to hit a home run, right? I mean, if, you, if you're hitting singles, it's like, that's okay, that's steady. But man, we prize the person that can knock it out of the park or that can carry that ball across the end zone or that can put that three-pointer in the net. We live off that culture and you can get awards and you can get praise and accolades. I mean, maybe you're in the Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts and you get badges and you end up so filled up with all the things you do. I remember in Indiana, my parent, uh, grandparents, Wesleyan Church, they would have attendance for Sunday school. And if you made a whole year without being absent, and even if you were sick, you had to show up, you would get a pen and you could pin that to your shirt and you could wear it around. My cousin had several of those pins and I hated it. Not him. I'd never make that. We moved a lot. I could never be consistent. I was a built-in failure. I couldn't go, I couldn't do baseball, I couldn't do sports. We moved a lot. Two, three times a year we'd move. I couldn't participate in those things. And so I just accepted defeat in many ways. And we have a culture that prizes this. I mean, you know, if you meet the right person, if you marry the right person, if you get the right job, if you get the right promotions, if you get the right office, if you drive the right car, if you end up with the right house, if you just keep doing these things, right? Then you're successful. And that is exhausting. And that's the American way. And unfortunately, that's the American church way too, in many realities. At its core, it's a performance-based acceptance. And if you learn to perform for God, to do the right tricks for God, He's going to pat you on the head and love you more. But that's a lie. That is a lie. That is a lie. God loves you. And he just loves you. And he loves you so much that he's taken the step to take care of the sin problem that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. He loves you so much that you, you won't find more love by doing more things. He's not going to love you more. He's not going to love you less. He just truly loves you. And if you've ever been a part of a church, you've been a part of a journey, I think there's a time to just stop and ask, why am I doing all this? That's what we're doing in the Reset Series. We're trying to wipe this slate clean and say, if we could just go back to this message of Jesus, what would it be like? What, what, what is Jesus all about? What does he want from us? What is he what for us? And so we're walking a slow walk through the Gospels. And I believe that every once in a while, we need to come back to this to examine our motivation. And I think definitely if you're a person that came to faith early on as a child, maybe you came to church, your parents drug you to church, or brought you to church, and, and you, you saw the song, you heard, sang the songs, saw the stories or the videos, and, and you participated in that, and you said yes to Jesus. Maybe it was a mom or a dad or a youth pastor, a pastor, or a school teacher. They, they sat with you, and, and you said yes to Jesus, and you journeyed on, and then life got complicated, and life got busy, and you made more mistakes, and you made some bad decisions and you went down some wrong roads, you know that every once in a while it's good to ask about your motivation, but it's also good to ask, what did I really do back then? And what does it really mean today? And so in this series, we're just doing that. We're, we're going over and we're looking at a reset. And today I want to talk about the very challenging conversation about the role of rules. Because last week I talked about, and I've been saying this, is that God wants a relationship with you and not by rules and regulations, okay? So there are, are there any rules and regulations? And if so, how does, does that violate the whole idea of a relationship? Well, actually it doesn't because in every relationship you have rules, right? I mean, you think about this. Uh, in Judaism, you've got rules. If you were to uh, kind of distill it down, you could go to the 10 commandments. 
A religious system called Judaism has the Ten Commandments. They also have 613 total ones in the Old Testament. And then if you were at the time of Jesus, they would take one command and explode it into 39 commands if it's about the Sabbath. Because it's not just enough to have one rule, let's add 39 more. And you do the math, it was a burden. That's why you see Jesus say that. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus. Or in Islam, you've got the five pillars of Islam. But it's not just the five pillars. Those five pillars are there, but on those hang other things. Or in Christianity, if you were kind of to distill Jesus' message down to three chapters, it'd be Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Or if you distill it down to two verses, it'd be love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbors yourself, the greatest and second greatest commandment. You know, those are the rules, right? We all have them. If you're a Baptist, you've got rule. If you're a Catholic, you've got rule. If you're a Protestant, if you're a Presbyterian, if you're a Methodist, I don't care what, if you're assembly of God, you've got rules. Is there something about us that likes to have rules? But is it for the right reason? And are they even the right rules? And because it, it's the rules we rebel against, right? We grow up and everything seems to be fine and, and then we become teenagers, right? And everything changes. And um, we, we push against the rules and we rebel against the rules and we go our own way. Because the rules are what constrict us. The, the rules are the things that, that actually keep us from doing what we know we want to do. And so what is the role of rules in a relationship with God? Well, I'm going to say it this way. Rules assume a relationship. Rules assume a relationship. And if you have a relationship with someone, whatever the relationship is, there are rules. You may not have ever discussed the rules. You may be not written them down. But there are rules, right? For example, you have a friendship. What's a rule? Well, if they call you, you call back, right? Have you ever had a friend that you call and text and email and they don't respond to you? What are they? They're a jerk, right? They don't care. I thought we were friends. Oh, you wanted me to return the phone call? You wanted me to return the text? You wanted me to reach out? To you? you actually want to spend time together? Yeah, because we're a friend, right? I mean, you go into any relationship, there are rules, right? Um, it, I, I love this. I get to do premarital counseling, and I get to marry folks. I got to marry a young couple uh, not long ago here, and it was just great. It was exciting. It was a beautiful wedding, beautiful couple. The whole party was just exciting. And um, at, there was a point in the ceremony where I read the rules. Now, you don't call it that, right? What do we call them? Vows, right? They're vows, now, they're, they're a modified form of rules, but they're rules nonetheless. I commit to doing this. You commit to doing that, right? And, and you have to go back to those vows, those covenants, those commitments, right? And, and if you break those vows, that's a serious violation of the relationship. If you uh, move into a neighborhood that has CC&Rs, covenants, uh, what is it, uh, conditions and restrictions, right? You're a realtor, you know what they are. See, declarations of CC&Rs, right? And, um, and so you go into that, and let's say that you go into a, a neighborhood that has CC&Rs, and there's a stack, you know, you got to read it and memorize it and all stuff and meditate it on it and, you know, put it in memory and pour concrete around or whatever, and then you sign it. And you agree to the CC&Rs. And those CC&Rs are about your lawn, about the color of your house, the condition of your house, um, all of those things. Why? Well, because some people are power hungry, right? No, it seems like that. But the reason it's there and those rules are there is for the betterment of the community, right? Because you want the community to look nice. You want it to feel safe. You want property values to be strong, right? We value these things. And so as long as everybody abides by the CC&Rs, then everything's going to be okay. 
But sometimes you can have the CCNRs, the rules, and the relationship is thin. I remember my wife and I, we first moved into Jones Farm uh, when we were over in the other church building. We moved there and uh, we built, you know, had a bigger house because we had kids. And the first thing that happened was a letter showed up biting my head off because the trash can was outside the fence. And it was, it, was, it was a nasty gram, you know what I mean? It wasn't a nice gram, it was a nasty gram. They could have said, hey, hey, welcome to the community. We're really excited you're here. By the way, I know you probably didn't read all the CCNRs. They need to point one out. You need to put your garbage can behind the fence. Helps everybody, you know, everything look nicer. Not, not even close. It was just like, bite your head off. Do it right or we're going to fine you. I wanted to bite someone's head off, right? Because there was a rule and no relationship. And then we moved a number of years later, and one of the reasons was because we went and got a swing set for the boys, Costco or somewhere, I don't remember. We got a swing set, put it all up, and it was two inches taller than the fence line. And that was a violation of the CCNRs. And, and it was just like, I'm sick and tired of that. So we moved to a farm where we could do anything we want. Problem is, the neighbors can do anything they want. <laughs> And then you look and you go, maybe some rules are good. Maybe it is safe. How many cars can you put on blocks and have weeds and trees grow through them, right? At some point you go, I like a little bit of rules. Uh, we bought a hot tub uh, about a year, year and a half ago or so. And uh, we had a friend, Dan, put it in. And it's great. We didn't have to ask anybody. We, he, just, he just did the work and we soak in it at night. We have a great time with his family, right? I didn't have to ask permission. Well, to my wife about buying it, okay, because I'm married. But, but we bought it, we put it in, it was great. Well, we're moving this next spring into South Hillsboro. We bought a home uh, about a year and a half ago. We've been renting it some great folks, and they're taking care of it for us. And then, and then we're going to move in and sell the farm. Guess what? We have to ask permission to bring the hot tub. Because the CCNR say it has to go before an architectural review. And they have to check to make sure. And they want pictures and diagrams, drawings, all of that. And then they'll approve it. If they approve it, we bring the hot tub. If they don't, we sell the house and leave. No. Um, it's like this in every relationship, right? I mean, families. Families have rules. Uh, if, you're, if you're a kid, your parents make the rules, right? If you're a parent, you make the rules. And you try to find the best rules for governing and leading and guiding the family. You've got chores. You've got responsibilities. Some rules, cleaning your room, taking out the garbage. You've got opportunities to live within that. But every family has rules. And you live under those rules until you no longer live in the house, right? When you turn 18 and get your own place, you can make your own rules. Yeah, we've all said that, right? Okay. But until then, this is my house and these are my rules, right? That's how it works, right? Now, when your kids go to somebody else's house, they have to abide by those rules. And when other kids come to your house, you want them to abide by these rules. But th those kids coming in, obeying those rules that you've set, don't make them a part of the family. But a family has rules. And you know that, what that's like. And you know they're for the betterment of your family. You go to a gym. My wife's at 24-Hour Fitness, right? You go to the gym and you participate in that and there are rules and you agree to things. There's times you can be on a machine, how long you can be on a machine. You know, if you sweat or make a lot of noise and here are rules and you can actually be kicked out of the club based upon if, you know, whether you keep or violate the rules. Your job, 
Your job has rules, right? You have a human resources director and they help you understand the rules. At Sunrise, we have a policy manual. And so every year uh, we take the first half of a day and we go through the rules. We go through the policies. Remember that, Jody? Those were some fun days. And um, you go through those and then we watch the sexual harassment video. That's the best part, right? And then we all sign those papers and say, we agree to abide by the rules. Because even though it's a job, jobs have to have rules. You have to be able to treat each other well. You have to do the right things, say the right things, and, and make sure you don't do certain things. What I'm describing is a relationship. Every relationship has rules. And the rules don't make the relationship, but they help the relationship be strong and be healthy. Wherever there are rules, wherever you're accountable to a set of rules, there is some relationship. Now, what I want to talk about is in relationship to God, this statement right here. God's rules are not a condition for a relationship with him. Remember I said, God wants a relationship with you, not for you to just obey rules and regulation. But now we have to flip that around and say, God's rules are not a condition for a relationship with him, but they are a confirmation of that relationship. Just coming to church and obeying the rules doesn't make you a follower of Christ. But when you're a follower of Jesus Christ and a believer in him, then you live a certain way because that's a confirmation of your relationship with him. So you can find about a lot about a person by the rules he or she imposes, uh, you know, who the rules are directed to, what the rules are about, the value of them. And today I don't want to take you to rules. I don't want to talk about rules by displaying rules. I mean, I could take you to 10 commandments. I could take you to the two commandments that Jesus gave. I, I would rather talk about the concept of commandments because I think really in our heart, we either want to obey or we don't want to obey. And I know in the end, we don't always obey, but do we want to? Do we have a desire to obey? A passage of scripture that has really helped me on this journey is from Psalm 119. Psalm 118 is this massive psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible, that pretty much every verse, minus a few, talks about God's commands. His, uh, his, his commands, his instructions, his laws, his statutes. But it's about his rules. We can sum it up. And, and right, right here in this early part in Psalm 119.32, it says this. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Now, when you read that or when you hear that, what do you think? Internally, what's going on in your heart, your soul? What do you feel? What are you processing? Is that the perspective you have? You know, for me, I grew up with a, a God who was all about rules. My perspective of God, what he was like, he was like a cosmic sheriff. Okay, if you're in law enforcement, don't, I don't mean any harm here, okay? All right. But he was like a cosmic sheriff. That all he wanted to do was impose a list of rules. And by imposing a list of rules, he was going to make sure that he knew who was naughty and who was nice, right? He was going to keep a list. He was going to check it twice, that he was like a God that ran around, walked around, maybe rode around on a horse, you know, named Guilt. And he had in his pouch this little notebook. And, and he, was, he was watching you, right? Every breath you took, right? Every step you took. Every, every move you made, right? Sorry. I like, I like the police. There's my little pun. Um, and, and yet when you made a mistake, and you did, because I've done it. He wrote that down there. And if you got enough demerits 
in his book, then he just like zapped you. He threw something out. You got a flat tire. He got sick. Something went wrong at work. Computer broke, you know. Got a fine. Something went wrong because that's the God who's there. He's nothing more than a cosmic sheriff who's waiting for you to make a mistake. And I lived under that for a long time. So I worked out of fear, not out of love. And then in my 20s, I discovered something. I discovered intimacy with God. I, I fell in love with him as my heavenly father. And I'm telling you, that was hard. That was a hard journey. Because my earthly father and my heavenly father, there was a whole lot of transference. And it took me years to be able to pray to my heavenly father and mean it with all my heart. I was good with Jesus. I was good with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but the heavenly father, because I viewed God as a God who wanted nothing more than to punish me when I made a mistake. So I worked hard and then I discovered him and I fell in love with him and my Bible reading changed, my prayer changed, my service changed, my ministry changed. Everything changed for me because now I had a different heart. And as I discovered he had given me a soft heart, I didn't have a stony heart, a soft heart. I saw everything with new eyes. Now, the reality is you have a God that loves you. And because he loves you, he knows what's best for you. And because he knows what's best for you, he spells it out. And that's the Bible. Those are the, the stories and those are the rules. Those are the commands of God because he wants, he wants your best. He wants you to achieve the best. And he is father and he knows that. Now, I've been pastoring well over 30 years coming on 35 years, and I'll tell you this, that I've hardly run into a follower of Christ that gets that. It's rare. It's rare. Because we get caught up in what we do for God. And, and I, I know we do. And, and if we're not careful, it's insidious because we do more and more and more. And when is he ever going to be pleased? That's not God. That's a tyrant, right? That's just someone who's going to whip your back if you don't get it right. But we have a God who loves us. We have a father who loves us. And yet he does give us rules for our good. And I've discovered a lot of believers, a lot of followers of Jesus don't have a heavenly father view of God. They have a cosmic sheriff, sheriff view of God. So what do you do with his rules? Well, for me, when I read this, let's go back just to this verse here. When I read this verse, I run in the path of your commands. A picture comes to my mind. It's my wife and I, my family run on the Wildwood Trail. Wildwood Trails is, is, it's one of God's gifts to us. It's in Forest Park in Portland, the clean, nice part of Portland and um, the natural nature part of Portland. It's beautiful. You can park at the zoo. You have to pay money now to park at the zoo. You park at the zoo and you can hop on. It's either the Korean or the Vietnam uh, Memorial there and you start, it's Wildwood Start. And you just go up and you just run and you run and trails are amazing. Trail running is the most beautiful running you can do. And you get up there and you get to Piddock Mansion and then you, you cruise down. And if you keep going, I mean, you can keep going. You finally cross Germantown Road at some point. Then you get to the end of Newberry Road. It's 30.2 miles end to end. And it snakes back and forth. Last week, we took some friends there. And uh, we just spent a couple miles on the Wildwood. It's beautiful. It's quiet. It's cool. Very few people there. Probably more dogs than people, you know. And, um, and you go along there. And there's a beauty of it because you're alone with nature and you can hear God. And I remember running that. I, we had some friends and they said, hey, you should run the Wildwood Trail. We'll do it with you. I ended up doing it. They didn't. And I finally made it to the end and my family met me there. It took all day, right? 
But it was the most beautiful thing I'd done because I was alone and I could talk with God and I was running in the path that had been laid out before me. And there was freedom there and there was beauty there. When I, when I think about this verse, that's what comes to my heart. I run in the path of your commands. What for, that is where my freedom is found. That's what sets my heart free. What do you think? What do you feel? And then later on in the New Testament, John, the Apostle John, uh, this verse right here, he writes in 1 John 5, 3, he says, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. What do you think about that? What do you feel about that? Because sometimes I go, yeah, that's a burdensome command. Yeah, seriously? You say that's not burdensome? But loving God means keeping his commandments. There are people today, and there's a whole religion that says, let's just do away with rules. If God really loved us, we wouldn't need any rules. We could just do whatever we wanted to do, right? The reality is if everybody just did whatever they wanted to do, there would be chaos. It would be Portland, right? <laughs> We've driven through there, right? We go, ah, we need some rules, okay? We, we, need, we need some obedience to rules. We need some enforcement of rules. Or you, you go, I, I, I tell people, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed because nobody's obeying the rules and nobody cares, but, but if you were to understand that loving God, truly loving him, putting him first, means obeying his rules, following his rules, keeping his commandments, you discover his commandments are not burdensome because they're good for us. A number of years ago, uh, our family was in L.A. I, I thought we were visiting my sister coming back from a Mexico trip. I don't remember. And um, my sons wanted to see the Hollywood sign up close. And so I figured out how to do that. And we drove up to where you can see the Hollywood sign. Unfortunately, they, um, they, they stopped at a certain point. You have to park at a certain point in a neighborhood. And then you have to do a hike up. And then you can look down on the Hollywood sign, right? It's not the best view. It's really not even worth doing it. But my kids want to do it, so we did it. And we went up there, and we got pictures looking down on the big H. You know what I mean? And, um, but along the way, uh, the, the old road there had these, uh, these symbols that I wanted to talk to my sons about. And then when we were driving home on the 5, back home, I talked about it more. But there were guardrails. Why? Well, the guardrails are there to prevent somebody from going off the edge because it's pretty steep, right? You roll your car, you could possibly die. The guardrails are there for our good. And before you get to the guardrail, though, there's this, uh, like this, you know, rumble strip, right? And, and I, was, I, was just, I just left Mountain Home yesterday morning after meeting with pastors and I was driving and I'm going through the curves, uh, coming, you know, down the pass from La Grande down to Pendleton. And man, it's back and forth. And, um, you got to be careful because if you hit those rumble strips, you're not paying attention. And they're there to wake you up because, oh, you don't want to get too close to the guardrail. You'll scrape your car or worse, you'll go off and you could die on that stretch of the road. And then they paint lines. What are those lines there for? My car is smart enough to be able to has cameras that can see the lines. And if I get close to the lines, it beeps and nudges the wheel. It's not a Tesla. It's a Subaru, okay? But I can't afford a Tesla. But, but the fact is, is that it was, it's pretty amazing because the goal is what to drive in your lane. That's where freedom is found. Driving in your lane. That's, that's where beauty is found. And if you find yourself wanting to hang out on the side, maybe that's telling you something. And if you find yourself hitting the rumble strips and being comfortable with those rumble strips, that should be telling you something. And if you find yourself scraping the side, that should tell you something about where your heart is because you're just that quickly going to drive off the cliff. And that's telling you something. And when you love God, you, when you love God, you want to keep his commands because you know they're good for you. You know they're the best thing for you. I was talking to a friend um, 
a week ago, and we were talking about a mutual friend, a mentor of ours, and he said it this way, fences make good playgrounds. Fences make good playgrounds. That's actually studies that have been done. The last one I read was from 2016, where uh, industrial and uh, architectural landscape, people that design schools, they wanted to know if in putting a, a playground up, was it better on the kids psychologically to have a fence or no fence? So they, they did both. And here's what they found. They found that students, elementary students, especially the younger students, when there was no fence around the playground, the kids hung close to the teachers and they wanted to be protected by the teachers and they didn't dare venture out because it didn't feel safe. And yet when they built a playground with fences, the kids ran everywhere. They went up against the fences. They pushed against the fences. But the fences made them feel safe. And they had such a greater time playing. And they were better off as children. See, God puts fences around us for our good. Because he knows, he knows that sometimes we want to lean against the fence. We want to push. We want to look over the fence. We want to see something better on the fence. But he puts it there for our good. Because when we run in the path of his commands, that's where freedom is found. When we know him, we love him. And when we love him, man, we want to obey him. Now, let me close with something my wife and I have done. I used to do it as a youth pastor. I've actually preached about it here a number of times. It's these five words that all begin with P. Precept, principle, person, protection, provision. Uh, precept, it's a, it's a fancy way to say a command, uh, a Bible verse, a command. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Think about that. Uh, so when you've got kids and they're two, what do they ask? Why, right? When they're four, what do they ask? Why, right? They, they just ask why all the time. And, and it's easy just to get ex it's just exhausted and go, because I said so. That's not a good answer. And parents, if you ever ask, you know, if you ever ask, why does God say this? Because he said so is a bad answer. <laughs> Help him know deeper than that, okay, please. So the question is why? Why does God say do not commit adultery? Why? Because he wants to kill all of our fun. He doesn't understand our urges. He doesn't understand hormones. God just doesn't realize what we're going through, right? No. The reason God says don't commit adultery, and there's a whole list of things like that, because it goes deeper than that. In fact, if you look at all of the precepts, all of those verses, those prohibitions, those pros and cons, those thou shalt, thou shalt not, you discover that below the surface of that, kind of like the root system, is a principle about purity that God has. He has principles of purity. And so he gives these commands for our good, and they're not burdensome. And so all these things like thou shalt not commit adultery and, you know, don't covet your neighbor's wife and all things like that. Okay, great. It's because of a principle that's woven through scripture. But why? Why? Because that's who he is. He's a God of purity. He's a God of integrity. In fact, he's a God. It's, it's holy, holy, holy. He's perfectly pure. And he wants us, he invites us to be holy. He says to be holy as I am holy. And so he, give us, he gives us these precepts because there's a principle because that's his heart. But then you go further. Guess what he does? He protects us if we obey that. He says, you know what? I'm a father, I know best. So if you obey these commands and learn the principles, if you live within those principles, the commands are not to be checkboxed, but they're to be lived within. You run within those, right? If you do that, I'm protecting you from harm, from damage, from memories, from effects. And then more than that, man, he provides for us. When we say yes to what he says, he gives us a different life. He gives us a different spirit. He gives us a different heart. We can walk in integrity, right? 
We're not always just encumbered with all of the problems and all the luggage of the pain that we carry around with us. You could look at any of the precepts or principles, scripture, whether it's truth or integrity, whatever. You can see all this. Why? Because God loves you. He loves you. And he's a father that knows what's best. And so he says to you and to me, we're in a relationship. And so therefore there are rules. And those rules don't make the relationship. They're not a condition of the relationship. They're actually how we work in the relationship and the relationship that we have. God doesn't give us rules for our harm, but for our protection and provision. Our heavenly father knows what's best for us. And by following his precepts, and living by his principles, we become more like the person of God. And that's his goal for our lives. And it's not a burden. It's a blessing. But if you're the kind of person that's pushing back on the rules, what is it saying about your heart? If you're right now living pretty close to the line, over the line, rumble strips, you're like living with that, that, just that challenge in your heart. If you're living with that pressure because you know you're heading towards something that isn't right, and there's a guardrail, get back in the middle of the lane. Go back to his heart for you. And if you're the kind of person that's living in the middle of the lane, you don't dare venture off because you might get a markdown. Maybe just cruise a little bit. Switch lanes. Enjoy the road God's given you. Don't live by the rules, but live in the freedom of what he's given us. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for what you've said, what you've given us by way of instruction. It's for our good. You're a heavenly father that loves us and wants us to become like you. And so you give us your commands for our good, for protection and provision. You give us our commands so we become like you, the person of God, because that's what the, the world needs to see. People that look like you, people that reflect your heart and your compassion and your grace and your truth so that others would be attracted to that and come to know you. May that be the way we live our lives. We pray in your name, amen.